You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. The Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network is brought to you by Moultrie Mobile. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's industry best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up to the minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first of its kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me today, I've got my good friend, Derek King. Now, Derek and I go way back. We um, have scouted for elk together. We've shot together. And he is a wealth of information and knowledge about archery hunting. And so we're going to dive into everything that you need to know to tackle a Western big game hunt with a bow. Let's jump into it. You're listening to The Western Rookie, a hunting podcast full of tips, tricks, and strategies from seasoned Western hunters. There are plenty of opportunities out there. We just need to learn how to take on the challenges. Hunting is completely different up there. I've harvested 26 big game animals. You can fool their eyes, but you can't fool their nose. The 300 yards back to the road turned into three miles back the other way. It's always cool seeing new hunters go and harvest an animal. I don't know what to expect. If there's anybody I want in the woods with me, it'll be you. All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And on the show with me, I've got a former coworker, fellow hunter. In fact, I think you're the first one that I ever went like elk scouting with you and Greg years ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We just went on like a, I mean, we went kind of all over the place. We found a deer that was like dead. It looked like somebody shot it with a pistol or something. Yeah. Um, anyways, Derek King. Welcome to the show. Yeah, how you doing, Dan? Pretty good. Um, I'm pumped about this because you you know more about bows than probably anybody I've ever talked to, and I really want to get into archery elk hunting. So I've got a lot of questions for you, and hopefully that translates to information for any of the listeners that wants to get into archery hunting. Hopefully you can share share some knowledge on that front. Yeah, absolutely. It's always it's always fun to get people into the sport. I mean, we come from bow hunters, rifle hunters, and you know we've been coaching archery for you know fifteen twenty years. So it's a uh, it's been a long time uh, getting people into the sport. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, why don't you start out by just sharing kind of your history with it? I mean, obviously your family has a shop. You can talk about that. But how long have you been shooting, and uh, what does that look like? Oh. Hmm. I've been shooting for 25 years. Um, that's all I know. <laughs> so when people ask me, you know, rifle hunting questions, I'm like, 
tentative, but when I talk about archery, I'm, I'm ready to rock. So <laughs> it's been, you know, 25 years of doing that and competing for, let's see here, 20 of those years, you know, Dang. started competitive, competitive shooting and, you know, since I was 12. So, geez, that's, that's impressive. I mean, I remember when we worked together, you and Greg every day and sometimes Ryan, you'd be like, Hey, we're going to shoot at lunch. I'm like, you're going to shoot what at lunch? No, no, no. We're going to go shoot our bows at lunch. And I'm like, okay, sweet. I think I came with you guys one time and I was so out, like out class. I was like, man, <laughs> I better just stick with like shooting muskrats at lunch or something like that. No, it, it, that that's, I still do that. I'll still I'm like, okay, I got, I can take a little longer lunch. I'm out. I'm going to go, <laughs> I'm going to go. We're going to move my new office is going to be near the Loveland outdoor range for about oh, five sweet. minutes when I'm just like, all right, I'm good to go. Yeah. Like that's, can I just work remotely from right here? Yeah. Like, you set your computer up on the table and then shoot in between emails. Yeah. I was like, my boss wouldn't care. So this works out. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So your family owns Rocky mountain archery yep. here in, that's the name of it, right? Yep. I didn't mess that up. Mm -hmm. Okay. At, for at, part of me was like Rocky mountain shooter supply. No, I think it's Rocky mountain archery. Um, mm -hmm. So an amazing bow shop right here in the front range of Colorado. So I'm guessing you guys get people coming in, trying to get information for every type of Western hunt. Yeah. So we're, we've been here for 11 years in Fort Collins. Um, we built the building from the ground up. So I cut pretty much every piece of wood in that building and the, the heaviest winter of 2010. Um, but yeah, we, we get everybody. I mean, we got, we've got dedicated customers coming from Nebraska four or five hours away up in Wyoming. We got some guys from Utah that drive up just to work with, with my dad and my sister. And, um, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty humbling. And they ask these critical questions and we can give them these pragmatic answers that honestly, a lot of other bow shops wouldn't give you, um, you know, they would try to upsell you on stuff. I was like, we want people to be shooting an affordable way and effective and have fun with it. Yeah. So what, what do people need to look at? if they're coming from say central Missouri or Wisconsin and all they know is whitetail hunting, what are the differences between, you know, shooting at a deer from a tree stand at 20 yards over a corn pile mm -hmm. versus having equipment that, that you can hike for 10 miles with in the mountains and put an elk down. That's four times that size. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of it is you you think I'm going to need, I'll, you know, the first instinct for anybody coming out West is going to be like, I'll, I want that 80 pound compound. I yeah. got, I got to get that 315 feet per second. I got to get 550 grain arrow built up. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> like I rather you shoot effectively with a 45 pound bow than bad with a 80 pound bow. And yeah. so, um, a lot of it is, you know, getting, Getting it for elk specifically, you know, get an arrow over, you know, 450 grains. Um, that would be, you know, that's that kind of stuff. A lot of, a lot of the, re I'm jumping around, but a lot of the reasons that a, a bow is good for shooting out of a tree stand or a blind app applies to, you know, back, back country hunting too. So the reasons are it's compact, it's lightweight, um, you know, there's certain, amenities that help you out with it, but getting it on your back, your backpack and getting it out there. Um, 
you know, you can shoot your preference. Sometimes the geometry of the person depends on the, the makes it a bigger bow, more forgiving, bigger bracite, stuff like that, that makes shooting at a longer range, um, a little easier. Um, so that, that, that kind of stuff is getting you, get you, get you out there. Um, but shoot, shoot what you're comfortable with. You're going to have more chances to shoot from the, the ground level. Um, than you are obviously at, you know, in the East. So yeah, it's different for every species. Yeah. What, um, so when, when you're looking at, I mean, maybe a first time Western hunter buying a bow, Mm -hmm. what, what are some of the things that you bring up to them or you help them think through that they might not otherwise, like the weight of the bow, is that a big factor? Um, like you had mentioned the poundage, not, cranking it up to 80 pounds just because they saw Cam Haynes shoot a balloon at 215 yards. You <laughs> yeah. Know. Uh, what kind of, what kind of pointers are you giving them right out of the gate? Someone who's coming in as a virgin to Western hunting. So for the right for the bow, it's going to be, um, I mean, basically whatever you can af- go as high as you can afford. Um, and that not ignoring the accessories and the arrows. I, you know, I'd rather get see someone put better arrows through a bow and get, get the practice you need through the year. Get it early. That's that's probably the biggest chunk of advice is yeah. a not you know, not saying rifle shooting's easy or anything, but it's like eh, it's different. There's a lot more variables. Let's say that. Yeah. There's a lot more variables. So get it early, get a lot of practice in. Um <laughs> I can, I can almost see the frustration and the stories in your eyes. Like, as you're telling me this of people who came in two days before archery season, like, Hey man, I need a bow for archery season. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, so I, I usually I'll go into the season with, you know, my dozen arrows that are ready to rock my arrows that are paired with the, this is getting into it, but my arrows that are paired with the, the broadheads that's, you know, spin the best and, I'm ready to go with those, those 10 or 12 arrows. Yeah. But I have guys that come in that week before and buy two dozen arrows and two dozen broadheads. And then they come back two weeks later and they're like, I need more arrows. I'm like, you ran out of arrows. Like, Oh, like at actual animals, they ran out of arrows. Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. (laughs) See, yeah, this, so we see all kinds uh, at the shop and I get, you know, I'm not there full time, but it's, it's definitely like a, it's a dinner con- dinner table conversation with the fam. Like every night, my little brother will call me. He's like, "You have no idea what just happened." I was like, uh, "I yeah, I've been around enough to know." So yeah, as far as the bow goes, shoot the poundage that you can shoot thirty arrows with in one shooting session. That's kind of my my number um, yeah. because that that amount is also indicative of you being back in the backcountry hunting and you're tired and you're seven days in, you just need to be able to pull the arrow, that bow back once or twice, you know, yeah. on the same animal. Yeah, that makes sense. I know I've seen those people that struggle pulling, you know, 75 pounds back. They should be shooting closer to 55 pounds. Yep. And it's just like, it takes everything in them to get it back on their first draw yeah. of a shooting session. And I, I was told that early on, you know, right away, I wanted to be shooting, the highest poundage bow that I could, but I like to shoot a lot. And so if I'm shooting all the time, I don't want to be pulling that much weight back every time unless I'm used to it. And I, I tell people all the time, like start at the lower end of your weight range for your bow, 
Just start there. Yep. Get comfortable with the bow. Yep. The bow's not going to change. The handle's not going to change. The sight's not going to change. Just start at the lower end and shoot it for a month. Work your way up to maybe the month before season, getting it toward the top end of the range, and then continue to shoot. And so that makes perfect sense, like you said. the I mean, if they can't shoot it well at 45 pounds, why would they be trying to shoot it at 70? Like, get the basics down before you crank the weight. I'd rather you smoke a lung with 45 pounds than blow through a shoulder with 75. You know, like, yeah. that's... That, and cause that, that's going to be a whole different effectiveness, you know, with it. Um, the other thing is like the geometry of the bows, you got uh 30 inch axle axles kind of is what you, what the Eastern guys are going to see, you know, 28, 30, you know, Matthews from being from, from Wisconsin, like they, they really cater to that audience because honestly, that's 80% of the archery industry is you whitetail hunters. Yeah. And I'm not going to be a businessman I and mean, you know, I'm an engineer, but like, yes, I would cater to those, your, that customer base. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. They say that like, I think bass fishing, uh, whitetail deer and Turkey make up like 80% of the entire outdoor industry. I mean, those oh, yeah. three. And so like really elk hunting is part of that extra 20%, but yeah, it makes sense if you're going to build a bow, <laughs> build it for, 80% of the people. Exactly. And, and sometimes if you're a tall, lanky guy, you know, I've got, you know, I got gorilla arms or knuckle draggers, as my father <laughs> says. Uh, so, you know, I'm not overly tall, but my draw length puts me right out of range for most of these compact bows. So you see, you know, <laughs> you see me trying to get in a turkey blind um, <laughs> and try to pull back my 34, 35 axle axle compound. And I'm in there to get my get my butt kicked, you yeah. know, just trying to try to maneuver this dang thing around. So dude, we've been in a Turkey blind with that bow was, before, yeah. man. You were, except like, we got our, our hunt got blown up. Sorry. This is not going to be informational at all, but hopefully it'll be entertaining. You're good. Derek and I are sitting on the edge of this circle crop field with our back to a river bottom. Yep. And it was just like, dude, we had seen, did, was it you and I that drove through a couple, a oh couple my weeks gosh. prior, and there were literally 300 turkeys. Yep. And and so we're sitting in this, this turkey blind, and I'm like, dude, it's going to happen. There's uh. going to be so many turkeys to shoot at. And then all of a sudden we look over, and there is a, was it a U-Haul truck that was just shredded oh, yeah. on the road like 400 yards away? Yep. At some point in the morning, we didn't see it happen, but a U-Haul truck was driving down the road, went off the road, and hit a telephone pole, which ripped the entire side. And it was a yard sale in the ditch. <laughs> it was and like, like all their belongings <laughs> in a ditch. And I was like, ah, and now like, there's like uh, emergency response people showing up. And we're like, all right, we're going to change our spot. <laughs> like, I don't think this is going to be effective anymore. <laughs> Anyways, back to what you were <laughs> saying. Good. I just had to get we're, that We're going to touch on that other, the, the drive-by uh, oh, story yeah. too there. But yeah, so... Yeah, make sure the bow is appropriately sized for you. Um, the conversation that comes up, and th this will get into the weeds because this directly controls uh, what bow you end up with, is the the anchor point in which you're you're setting your 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 draw hand in place. That's your primary anchor point, um, and then there's the string to the nose thing that has been pushed through the entire, you know, in the industry that is some, 
that's I that's nice. That's a nice thought all the time, but it's not not it's not the law right now. And my, yeah. and that's and that might be a controversial opinion. Um, but hey, I'd rather you have the platform to talk about yeah, it right now. So. I I'd rather someone uh, be more diligent and getting their peep aligned with their site. The sights on the bows are circular for a reason. So use the circle on the front of the bow and use the circle in the string, the peep sight, um, to get you lined up better. And you and you and the tree stand people, you guys are probably more way smarter with this. You're shooting the smaller bows, so you guys are probably better off than my, my newbies out West here. So getting that peep lined up with the site is critical. Then this nose of the string is a, is a nice to have. It's not a have to have. And so when you go to these bigger bows, you might actually, you might actually catch that, that string close to your nose. And that's, it's a nice thing. So shoot what's comfortable. We always make people try and shoot everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I think yesterday my little brother was telling me he was, working on a guy's boat, working on selling a bow to this guy. And he, he preferred the more, you know, budget bow because it just felt better to him. I, I, that's amazing. Let's do it. You know, that's, that's what I want people to do is try to get there. The weights of the bows are all about the same. They're all just under four pounds for some of the carbon bows, $1,800. Like I'm not asking anybody to do that, but there's these aluminum bows, these cast magnesium ones, there's your other factors you're looking at um, that are four and a half pounds. Well, yeah. You know, my, you know, you're you're not going to lose a pound before hunting season unless you're like trying to slim down for it. But like, make sure the bow shoots like, you know, for you and the extra weight in the bow sometimes makes it for, more forgiving because there's more resistance, you know, in the in the bow itself. So the materials it's made in is, is a big factor, but um, yeah, there's nothing super special for Western to be honest. Um, just as far as bows go. Exactly. Yeah. I, I remember, I think it was the first time I ever had a conversation with you about archery and you were like, dude, honestly, just about any bow out there is going to perform better than you can shoot. Like it yep. almost nobody out there can outshoot a current model bow. You're yep. like, they're just, they're consistent. They're accurate. Find something you're comfortable with and just practice and practice and practice. And so, I mean, that's what I've been doing back in, back in Missouri. Now there was gosh, probably six to nine months where I was shooting a hundred arrows a day, awesome. anywhere from 10 yards out to, I think my range went to 96 or 98 yards. There you go. And I mean, at, <laughs> at that distance, I w I was just happy when I could get five of them to hit the target, mm -hmm. you know? But at 50 yards, putting five arrows in a five-inch group, I was like, man, this is so cool. Yep. But I got a new bow this year. Um, why don't you talk specifically about, like, what kind of setup you're running? I know it's not going to be the same for everybody else, but you can you can share kind of what you're using, if what kind of uh, rest you're using, maybe the release, because I switched to a thumb release this year. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love it. I mean, I've only ever used a trigger release it broke on me last year and I switched to the thumb and I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I don't know if it's just cause it's new, but I've found that I shoot a lot better with that. So why don't you talk about kind of your setup, the different releases that you've been seeing mm -hmm. the rest, things like that. So my setup currently as it stands, 
It's, it's getting. I got another one coming. It's <laughs> you always do, man. Every time I talk to you, you're like, "Well, the one I'm using now is a month old, so I've got a new one coming." <laughs> uh, I yeah, that's yeah, it's a, it's a different animal. Um, so right now, my the current bow I shoot with, and and it's the most comfortable I've ever been with one. Uh, you know, bow brands go back and forth on their geometries, brace sight, axle axle, that like. That those two numbers uh, for me is a is a big deal. I could probably I could I could adjust to anything. But um, right now I'm shooting the uh, the Hoyt RX5 Ultra. Uh, so that's the their carbon one. I got the RX7 Ultra on its way. There's big improvements to me, uh, which is hard to say from year to year for bell companies. I don't expect yeah. them to bring new every year. I'm a des- I'm a design engineer. So I have to respect the the cycle of how <laughs> yeah. products get released to the market. Uh, so that's really, you know, I get excited when it's a big leap from year to year. Yeah. Um, so I got RX-7, or yeah, RX-5, RX-7 Ultra. Um, I shoot at 30 and a half inch draw length. I got a 457 grain arrow, a gold tip Pierce Platinums. So the Platinums are straighter again. Arrows are so carbon arrows are so dialed in right now, um, but I like what I like about the arrows themselves is that they're uh, the, the the sidewall is way thicker on these micro diameter arrows, um, and to me that is a good good value for um, resilience or like survivability in an incident where the, oh, yeah. the sidewall of the arrow gets hit. So micro diameter arrows, we talk about wind resistance. Like that's a small factor to me. The the micro is the sidewall being that much stronger. That's a big deal in the out west. You're going to be working on hillsides, uh, rock shell. I mean, I, big reason I did that. I one year I went hunting with my little sister, um, and we got off the tr- trail about a mile, and I uh, I tend to fall over uh while i'm hunting because i'm i'm clumsy and i'm more focused on 100 yards out than i am my own feet so uh yeah and i fall over and i land right on the right on the bow the quiver the bow was fine i was shooting some arrows with some thinner sidewall and i just it, it looked like little scuffs on the side of the arrows and my little sister goes because she works at the shop the last 10 years and she grabs my arrow out of my hands because I was like, oh, they're good. And she goes, snap, 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 snaps three of my five arrows with her bare hands. Oh and my she's gosh. like, that would have killed you. Yeah, that would have split wide open before it left your bow. Yeah, like right, just carbon right into oh the, my gosh, right in my dude. left forearm. That is like a night, like that is my worst nightmare is taking just like a, a freaking frog gig of arrow shards through my hand. Oh yeah. man. I've seen, I've seen it uh, maybe four or five times. You know, it's usually older gentlemen, like, and it's always like, they just look like it and there's, yeah. So check your arrows. Yeah. Just if you ever watch the Olympics, the archery Olympics, you see them bending their arrows and checking. That's what they're doing. Dude, I do it literally every time in between every shot. I check my arrows because. Check your knocks. Yep. Uh, back of the arrow, anywhere over there. I mean, this is not, you know, Western specific, but this is, you know, this is important to mention, you know, like. The back of your arrow, the front, I personally is all glued together by inserts and everything, so it's it's it'll find there's if there's any damage. It's not fine. It's 
some less conspicuous. So, um, so that's a good little story on why I shoot micro diameter or some thin sidewall stuff yeah. or thick sidewall stuff. Um, I've got an Excel landslide on my bow. Um, so that's their latest and greatest slider pin thing. But since I don't compromise, I'll do a five, a five pin on the slider. So basically I get the best of both worlds. I get, I get the pull up on the animal and immediately I have up to 70 or 60 to 70 yards as my bottom pin ready to rock. You know, there's a couple of years where I sh- shot a single pin on my slider. And if you, that just is not going to cut it for mule deer or antelope in a, in a, in a split second decision, you yeah. know, you've got to know where all your pins are and you got to know where that one pin is. That's important. So, you know, if you're doing a slider, I re- I would for out west I would definitely recommend you know at least starting with a three a three pin or or not doing a slider at all and just having a five or seven pin sight which seems like a lot but you need to be you be, you just need to have no doubt when yeah. you pull up that's what that's up man that is that's the one thing that I need to probably adjust this year I bought a single pin adjustable uh, or like the slider sight mm-hmm. but I really don't care for the it's got like a, a cam lock on it. Mm-hmm. And so like I have to twist that counterclockwise 90 degrees and then I can ju- adjust it. Yep. And I'm like, man, in the moment, if I'm if I'm on a spot in stock and all of a sudden it's like, boom, I've got a shot at 45 yards. Now I have like multiple movements that I have to do in order to get my bow ready to do that. I haven't pursued anything out west with my bow yet. And so... I guess I haven't failed in that sense. Like I haven't learned the hard way. Mm-hmm. I just don't think I want to learn the hard way. I'd rather figure it out now. So maybe, maybe that will be my next step is trying to figure out a, a better site, like a three or a five pin site that I can, yeah. that I can adjust the bit. And the, why I mentioned that is because, you know, we shoot or I shoot leagues every, every week you're shooting animals and shooting foam animals and you're, you go from one target. You're 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 talking to the buddy, the guys, the girls. Yeah, there's no girls, but um, you you shoot. You get distracted, and then you shoot a 20 yard target, and your your sight has been slid down to 50. <laughs> and there go there it goes. And you're in late July, and you're about to run out of arrows. You know that's yep. it's a slippery slope. The same thing can happen. You can be sitting on a you know sitting on a pond and or a, a clearing or opening and the farthest distance on that is 50 yards you dial your your sight into 42 because every opening in that area if you put that pin in the middle of a elk size target it's gonna it's gonna yeah. work and you should know these things like so when i had the single pin i set it to 35 and said hold hold low on 20 anything sub 35 and hold a little high anything that i think is close to 50 yeah and everything else would have been fine so but right now i got a little bit of a heavier arrow it's not it's not the heaviest out there but that's why i've got that that site and i seem to like it it's it's a little crowded in the site housing to be honest with you guys so but it it's something worth checking out or asking a buddy to walk you know take a look through their through their whole site thing um then I run a hamski. Uh, oh, I'm gonna say it wrong. They're they're in they're in the area. They're like maybe 10, 10 minutes from where we're sitting right now. Oh, nice. Hamski is, and uh, they uh, 
it's the Trinity. That's what it is. They just released their their new one. Um, I'll probably stick with the the Trinity this year. I just like it. It's just overbuilt. It's a drop away. It's limb driven. My theory with limb driven, I'm the only one in the family that does it. Is uh, it's mechanically locked to my bottom limb. Um, so if that ever gets cut in the woods, I can put a boot lace through there and I can, my, my rest will function just fine. Nice. Um, you know, my, everybody else in the family runs, um, the QAD rests that, um, you just tie in directly into one of the cables. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just paranoid. I also like limb driven stuff because it supports the arrow an extra 35% of the time. So it just clears the fletching so that it's theoretically, more support and I can affect the shot all the way through. Nice. So it's the same, same rest I use on my target rig. So, um, and then for stabilizers, I went to Excel's latest and greatest carbon flax ones. So, um, I used to run like 12 inch stabilizer front and back. And that's when Dan probably remembered me just hating life in a, in a, in a ground <laughs> blind, like realizing I had not, I had not built a bow for a ground blind. Yeah. So that such a scarring event for me to <laughs> not be prepared and for an archery or bow hunting situation. So I'm running eight inch stabilizer front and back. The whole package of the thing is fits in a, you know, almost fits in a normal soft side case. Um, so I, this last year was my goal is to simplify and compact and reduce the size of my whole rig. So, and then I've got a Hamsky Raptor peep in the string. I think that's what about your release? What release are you running? Yeah. Um, I run the true ball blade. Um, so, and it's brass. Uh, it's my, it used to be my target release. I just fell in love with it. Um, as a first archery or bow or first hunting thing I bought when I was, was it 12 years old? Like first thing I did with worked construction with my dad all summer and went and bought a release. That was the first thing I ever did. Went to the bow shop. I knew which one I wanted. It was a thumb, thumb button. Um, it was the, it was like the Max Fire Pro, or I'm gonna watch it, but it's a, tr- it's the True Ball hunting release. And I'm like, I'm not going back. This is yeah. it, man. And um, we, we stock, we stock all those, and they, they fly off the shelf because immediately it's a whole different stimulus. And like you said, it's, that's it. That's no tension in my hand it's something it's something and i always think of it as like it's like traditional archery but 180 you know it's yeah the anchor point but just flipped. flip your hand upside down yeah and, thumbs, uh, thumbs down instead of thumbs up exactly and that that is a, that was a big factor and so i just liked how that that blade opens and closes uh true ball has the rave and one with the same same cat same basic geometry on the the mouth or the caliper. Um, but is it, there's a three and there's a four finger and they released another one this year, but I forgot what it was, but it's the same kind of deal. And it's just something worth trying the big asterisk with T handles and back tension and hin and thumb releases is they're not attached to you necessarily. So that's when it, it becomes really important to have a, a lanyard or a wrist wrap directly attached to you. Um, you'll see, I'm going to try to not talk about a bunch of it, but you'll see the knock on Kydex holsters for the, your two finger release. Uh, I, I can formally say I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so uh, if you're diligent and 
maybe better off than I am at not dropping stuff in the woods, go for it. But I would, I would not recommend that part of it. So that's kind of been my setup is, um, I, I like brands that are, uh, engineered, engineering focused, feature focused, customer service focused, uh, who takes care of my family as a, as a bow shop. That's important to me. Um, these people who answer their phones for us and stuff. So these are, these are the brands I, you know, I, I support, um, for a reason, just cause it's not just cause it's, I can, and it's the m- most expensive thing and I'm, I'm that guy, but is, is important to me. So yeah, you've had plenty of experience with, with companies to know like, Hey, these are the ones that <laughs> if anything were to go wrong, like I would want to deal with them versus the other guy that actually pick up the phone, exactly. which I totally understand that. Um, yeah, as far as the release goes, that's another thing that I do not have. I have nothing attaching my thumb release to my body. I've got a front chest pocket on my left side mm-hmm. and that's where it goes. And the whole reason I bought a thumb release is because I was talking to the guy and he's like, man, you know, it's nice. Cause when you're up in the tree sand, like you can just have it clipped to the D loop and just like leave it there. And then you can grab it. You don't have to like clip in. It's one last step when you're draw- about to draw back on a buck. And so that part of it, I was like, Oh, that's cool. And then he goes, and if you have to cross fences or gates at all, like you're not putting your hands on it and then your wrist strap release, like your traditional trigger or finger release isn't like flipping down and clanking the metal. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that that's all you needed to say, dude. I have climbed over <laughs> gates so many times and all of a sudden I just hear boom. And I mean, it rings throughout the whole hunting property and I'm like, dang it. Well, oh, yeah. my release just caused me or my negligence just caused me <laughs> to scare every deer in the area away. <laughs> and so that's why I bought it. But I hear people all the time like, dude, you can't forget your release. Like you feel naked going into the woods without something strapped to your mm-hmm. wrists if you're used to that yep. traditional um, wrist release. But I I forgot my release one time this year and I get all the way out to the property and I go to open my bow case and my release was not there. And I had switched jackets and I knew right where my <laughs> right where my release was. Luckily, I brought my rifle out. And I was like, I'll just turn it into a coyote hunt. That's all right. I'll just go sit out at a different spot on the property. Yep. But I'm like, man, I just can't imagine being in the backcountry, especially like with how much gear you have chasing after Western game. And all of a sudden your release is just gone. So that is yeah. something that I will definitely do is, you know, hook it to hook it to a cord or something so that I always have it attached. Yeah. And they, they don't always have provisions for that, that kind of stuff, you know, a, a lanyard or anything, but just be smart about it. You know, any that, you know, like these, some of these backcountry, but like my Kafaro backpack, I have a, I have a belt pouch that has my flashlights in there. And if, if I didn't have my release on my wrist at all times, it'd be in there. I also keep an extra release in my kill bag. So yep. I, trying to, you know, pop. you have a backup just in case I have a backup. I have a backup wrist strap and I make sure I practice with it. So always practice with your, with your backup release too. And I understand that it has different effects on the, on the string and everything too. That makes sense. I, I wonder, is there a company out there that has maybe like in a jacket has like a, almost a wrist pocket that you could like tuck a release in, have it hooked to a lanyard. I feel like that would be a pretty good idea just for what you're talking about. Like I would, I would imagine, I mean, I, I haven't seen it. Um, there are companies, you know, 
Um, there's ones that are re- like really specific gloves, you know, thumb and thumb and index is removed as well as um, there's a hole for the actual, the strap or the barrel to come through. Um, I, I have a pair of those in my, I'd rarely wear gloves cause it's always so, so warm yeah. in August and September when you're hunting, I guess the hunting season in Colorado is now the second to the 30th. So it's all September. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, that it's a good, I mean, it's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I would imagine Sitka has one where you tuck it in there or first light. I'm sure they're, those guys are already on Somebody's it. got, yeah. Yeah. The innovation with clothing has blown my mind the past few years. Like the stuff that people are coming up with and all the new companies that are popping up with amazing clothing. Oh yeah. Um, it, I kind of hate it because when you go to buy, you're like, Oh my gosh, they all look so good. I don't know what to go with. Um, but let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about like your shooting regiment when you're getting ready for archery season, mm-hmm. what, what are ranges that first time hunters or people who may not have had that encounter yet with a big game species out here? What, what are ranges that you would recommend them practicing at say for an elk hunt? We're fortunate in that elk are huge. So that's nice. <laughs> big target. It's, you know, it's like. That helps a lot. Um, yeah. and, you know, I'm gonna say uh, pronghorn or antelope. They're smaller, but their whole tor- their whole body is a lung basically, and, and mule deer are, are right between those things. And you get a big, a big, big buck. You know, their their bodies get huge. Um, so that that that, that is kind of like the the size comparison I kind of indicate. I have different ranges for different animals that I I, I like to get ready for, but the old, you know, the the general rule of thumb, and is a paper plate. Yeah. Um, maybe not like an American sized paper plate. Maybe <laughs> more like a French one, like a nice, <laughs> like regular portion paper plate. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like not not the one like me and Dan would eat off of. We <laughs> hang with our families, but um, no, is that's kind of your effective range if you can put three or four arrows downrange comfortably. That's kind of the rule of thumb that there's designations on that. Um, if you can do it all day, every day. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm a big advocate and you, like you said with Cam Haynes, he's, he's dropping bombs 150 yards consistently, but you rarely hear about him, rarely him shooting something at yeah. those ridiculous distances. Yeah. The, I feel like the long range shooting has become fun but people need to understand that most of these guys who can hit the 10 ring way, way out still aren't shooting animals at those ranges. Like they're shooting farther than I would, but they're consistent double that distance. And I, I love shooting long range. I still wouldn't take a shot on like a whitetail past 40 yards Mm -hmm. and I never have, but definitely on an elk as you get bigger and bigger. So what you're saying though is with, with practicing, practice and see what your effective range is on a paper plate. If you can consistently hit inside and not not be shooting like 50% in the plate and 50% yeah. out, but like we're talking nine out of 10 shots have to be in that plate. Yeah. That's, that's your effective range. Like make yeah. sure you're not taking a shot at an animal past that. Yeah. Like when you, and like if you're shooting the leagues, you know, part of my, you know, regimen or whatever is, like Wednesday night leagues is the local club shoots. Like that is, I, I look forward to Wednesday nights more than I do the weekend. 
Cause then I got to go shoot my bow and I got to shoot with all my, we shoot all the customers and people and tell stories and, um, and compete. You know, that's my big thing is I, I like to win. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's important. It's not like last year it wasn't, but this year game on. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, yeah, I would practice, you know, if you, if you, if you're like, I probably could at 80 yards, your official effective range is 40, you know, divided by two. That's what camp cam even advocates for that. Um, you know, that's kind of, and even, even Dudley will say that stuff. And, you know, these are the voices of archery right now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's try to get comfortable with that every day because here's the deal. You'll be practicing all summer and then, you got to throw broadheads on there. Yeah. And then if your bow is properly tuned, um, you know, it's not necessarily properly tuned for broadheads. And, and I say that for fixed blades. Uh, so that's a, that's a big thing is you think you're good. And then you get your, you try to get your broadheads ready in late August. You, you want to talk about having a panic attack is you realizing that you've been gripping your bow the same way, which makes you effective with field points, but not with a broadhead. You're shanking it to the left every time. So that's where a, a, a reputable bow shop comes in clutch. And yeah. I mean, in the last four or five years, we've kind of dialed in our methodology and how we do it to get it close to you because at some point I can shoot the bow bullet holes through paper and I can shoot it consistently. But if I can't do with a broadhead, then there's no point to this exercise. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's also why you, you're, you know, half, half what you're somewhat comfortable shooting like that. That's where it comes up to. And the pie plate, like you should be like, that's, that's putting in the asterisk of like fixed broadheads in there too. Yeah. What uh, what broadheads are you using? I don't think we talked about that Mm-mm. yet, have we? Mm-mm. What are you using? Fixed blade, or you do you do expandable or mechanical? Um, I do fixed blade because a it's not Colorado is not necessarily has this rule, but certain certain guides outfits. So even when you come out west, sometimes it's worth a couple thousand dollars to pay a guy to get something, get onto some stuff on even public land. And they won't even let you on the property if you don't have, I mean, they'll let you on the property, but they won't let you shoot anything if you don't have fixed broadheads. Interesting. Yeah. Cause we have one of our, one of our hunting guide customers, um, yeah, ex executive for a big company, but he, uh, like, he's like, nope, no mechanicals on the property. <coughs> that's, that is good to know because I, I shoot mechanicals. I mean, that's what I, I've shot for years. I used to shoot fixed blades, but I've been using Rage Hypodermics. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of people like say mixed things about them. I have never, ever had an issue with them. And I've got the collared one, so it's got the plastic collar. Yep. Um, you, you put the grooves on the back of the blades, like on the tab. It, it confused me at first, and I'm glad I actually looked at the instructions on this because it seems like they should go in between the tabs but that, that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I've shot plenty of animals with it. Never had an issue. But then you hear like the horror stories from people. Oh, it didn't work. Something happened. It didn't deploy. It deployed before I shot, whatever. And I'm like, okay, 
how much of the, how much of this is user error and how much of it is the actual broadhead. But the thing I liked about them is they flew so similar to my field points and uh, the first pack that I ever got of them, I don't know if it was just like a one-time deal or like a certain skew had it, but it actually had a fully cast um, mm. expandable, but it was one piece, yep. right? Yep. And so you could practice with that as a field point without it expanding every time, but it was supposed to fly like so similar to what the actual and that, that confidence is huge. Like, oh man, it's the most important thing. Yeah, that stuff. and I mean, it wasn't it wasn't crazy off. I mean, I wasn't like six inches off at forty yards, but it did shoot a little bit differently mm-hmm. than my field points, and so I had to make that adjustment in practicing leading up to deer season. Um, but yeah, that's what that's one of the things that I loved about those rage hypodermics is because I could actually practice with a field point that looked like the broadhead and flew like the broadhead. Yeah. And, and the Ray, you know, rage has a huge following, huge following for a good reason. Yeah. Two inch opening. Like, yeah, (laughs) go for it. Good luck. Like that's going to do it. Like, um, the hypodermic specifically, you know, that, that in my book, gets a pass because it's the raw materials stainless for the most part. Like that was, that's what makes that broadhead um, work. It, it, it's a factor, but it, it's not going to bend. There's not the weakest point is now back on the arrow, not necessarily a broadhead uh, for opening glancing shots, edge of a rib, not centered on the rib necessarily or a shoulder blade. You, you, once you have these better materials, not just aluminum ferrules, like back ferrules, um, that, that, that's that much more important. So we all shoot fixed because we are, we're, you know, tuning nerds and stuff like that. And I would say 80% of my customer base probably shoots, uh, fixed blades. Okay. And I I have to check, but that's, that's kind of like the, the true tried and true because also your look at it, it's not going to fail. Um, but you know, the first, first archery deer I killed was with a like a true fire spitfire uh you know the it was aluminum ferro it was before we had the shop and it opened up and that thing went like 10 feet yeah it just it just gutted it i mean i hit the bottom of the heart it was done nice it it just fell down this very steep hill (laughs) i was like i don't want to do this anymore dad no (laughs) but ever since we've found steeper and steeper hills to climb um so as as far as carrying your bow while you're hunting, do you have a sling? Do you have like one of the newer innovations? Like, um, have you seen the bow spider that it's got like a post and it's basically an attachment that clips to your, to your belt or to the, your backpack. And it literally just, it's like a V notch mm-hmm. with a post that attaches to your bow and then it just drops in. So you can literally just pull it off your back without having to push any buttons, unclip anything, or are you just carrying your bow? Uh, uh, with your hand, I'm ready. I get out of the. I mean, sometimes I drive with my release on my wrist in the truck. Yeah. Um, but it's up to you. Um, if you can't carry the the dang thing, like, uh, how are you gonna shoot it? I don't know. Yeah. But I I get it. I get it. Sometimes you're these. You know, you you've done your research. You found this sweet draw on Onyx. You're excited. You you haven't had time to research where it is if you're if you're coming from out east and and now you get on this hiking trail 
yeah, throw it, throw it on your pack. You know, these hunting backpacks at the straps, throw it on there. I mean, my, when me and my dad went mountain goat hunting, like he strapped his bow to his pack and we went up, we went up the trail. And then once we got where there was no people or no low, no trails or anything. Yeah. We, we took it off at that point. Um, you know, these, all these bow companies now are integrate Matt, the Matthews put the bridge lock system. Hoy has the Picatinny on the front of it so that you can pull your sight off your bow when you're carrying it. So you don't bump it, hit a fiber optic in your backpack. So you put that inside, maybe inside like your, your jammies or your, your rain gear and that protects it. Um, that's kind of a last two years. That's kind of like the thing. Yeah. A lot of people are. Yeah. Yeah. These horseback guys. I mean, you're going, you pat, that's the other thing you can do drop camps out, out West. And that's a a cost effective way to get away from people. Um, and if it's on the side of a horse and your sight gets lit up, you're not going to know until it's too late unless you're diligent on shooting at camp. Yeah. Um, so we used to, me and my dad used to have the hooks on our hip. Never, never hooked the bow on my hip. I always carry it upside down, thumb in the, the rest slot, the exact same, the stabilizer on the forearm. Like that's yeah. my tried and true way. The one year I carried it on my shoulder. This is fun. you like this. Um, <laughs> luckily it was like a hundred yards away from the truck. I carrying the bow on my shoulder, like a moose, moose antlers. I come up, duck under this branch. Oh, and no. it, yeah. It grabbed the string and just whoop, derailed my bow. And, oh my and it gosh. Just crack. Well, luckily I had my dad and one of Greg, my engineering buddy, and we all three of us were like, let's figure this out. It was like the most exciting part of that hunt. <laughs> so we went to the truck. I'm rummaging. I got ratchet straps. I've got Allen keys. We put my bow back together. In, made a makeshift bow vice yeah, and just put it all back together. We, we pressed it in the we pressed it on the tailgate of the truck. I had my stump shooting arrow and my quiver, sent it 40 yards. And said, all right, let's go kill something. So Oh my gosh. So yeah, be all these carrying apparatuses, I'd be leery. Make sure you don't. I've ripped my peep out, going through Dang. some dark timber. You so you I put a silver line on the string and <clears throat> practice instinct shooting on my compound. So, yeah, that's my only. That's my biggest thing with the the carrying mechanisms is you got to take care of that string. These yeah. there's string covers that are more readily available every year. These all these soft good companies are crushing it. So yeah. I, I've seen some of the new technology and I'm like, man, these are sweet. And my only thing is like when I come out here, say this year, I came out here for um, our uh, rifle elk season and we got here two days before season started. And so we were able to scout for a couple days, try to figure out where the elk were before we could actually carry a rifle. But I was like, man, if I am, if I'm, hiking in to set up a spike camp days before season. And I don't have to have my bow ready to shoot because it's not actually time for me to shoot. It'd be great to have some type of contraption to carry it instead of having mm-hmm. an extra thing in my hand. But that makes perfect sense, man. Like when it's not in your hand, sometimes it could be out of sight, out of mind. And I can't imagine like having something go that wrong, especially traveling from a long ways away. And if you're in elk country, you might be four hours away from an archery shop that can help you out. I will. I have, I like the shop has way more Instagram followers than I do. That's all good. Uh, uh, at King Derek. Um, but, um, 
they I'll get I'll get messages at like eight o'clock at night. Hey man, can I get like can you can you put a new sight on my bow? I, I fell off the it fell off the tailgate of the truck and broke and I'm from Missouri. I'm like I got a key. I'll, I'll do it uh, for yeah. the greater good. Like, yeah. also, I'll meet some people, some people at the range. But those. I like how you said Missouri. Like, hey, my, out of all the states that you could have picked, it had to be a guy from Missouri that dropped his sight off. It, or Wisconsin <laughs> is one of the two. Oh, really? <laughs> Come on. No. I got all my family's from Missouri. So, oh, nice. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's either Colorado or Missouri. So, that's where my dad's from. But. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. You got to find a bow shop, and it's and we're closed Mondays, you know, and like, and it's always Monday after hunting season, and yep. it's like we're we're like ready to rock. I'm like we we usually work an extra through three hours, like, what is it? Like the last week of June, it's my my family's working 10, 12 hour days to get the hundreds of bows that come through put together. I mean, oh we, yeah. During during COVID, the last two years, I mean, we've had these are our record years, and uh, yeah, getting getting these people taken care of. But yeah, like I said, Wyoming and Nebraska guys will come up and we'll take care of them. So yeah, that's awesome. I feel like someone needs to start a like drone repair service. You know, <laughs> yeah. like you send a ping or an SOS, and yeah. you send the drone. They hook their bow to it. You fly it back, repair it, send it back out to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, Amazon. They, they kept saying, like, man, we're going to be delivering packages via drones. But that was supposed to happen, like, two years ago. Well, they're, they're loud. You know, that's, that's yeah. a whole different animal. But, yeah, that's why, you, like, the day that uh, there was, like, there was, like, a something happened. I forgot what it was. But, like, Colorado's legislative moves, like, sl- like moves super slow. But the second someone said, oh, what if I could use a drone to scout or hunt or, like, check something? It was, like... All right, that's oh, yeah, illegal. They shut that down. Yeah, they shut that down. So, which is fine. I 100% agree with it. Unless, like, some of my filmmaking buddies. No, like, but if you just do it as a delivery service for a repaired bow, I mean. Hey, who says drones have to be in the air? It could be a little track monster that just, like, puts <laughs> on the trail. Can you imagine trying to get that, like, to northeast Colorado from here? <laughs> that, like, hey, dude, it'll be there in uh, 19 days. It will get to you. Yeah. Um, no, that that's a lot of stuff like to think about for being from the east or you know more of an eastern state technically i'm not from the east because i'm on the west side of the mississippi river but Mm -hmm. uh thinking about all of those different factors as far as western big game hunting versus tree stand hunting like with a rifle it's a lot different i mean still i extend my ranges out Mm -hmm. how far i feel comfortable shooting i make sure i'm practicing that four five six hundred yard range but when it comes to bow hunting, that's a whole different ball game. Now I did get, I got a new Matthews and, um, that's one thing you, you would always try to get me into a Hoyt and I'm like, dude, I get it. Like Hoyts are amazing, but my last name's Matthews. So I'm just going to have to spell the right way too. Yeah. And it spelled the right way, dude. It was so heartbreaking though. I had no research into the Matthews, uh, company other than Matthews spelt with one type, one T also from Wisconsin. I was talking to a guy. My wife got me a new bow for my birthday. Super pumped about it. Talking to the dude, I'm like, I just had to get a Matthews, you know? Like, that's my last name. Hopefully, there's some type of connection. And he goes, no, man, that's his first name. Yeah, it's Matt McPherson. Yeah, and I was like, wait, what? And he's like, yeah, no, 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 that's his first name, not his last name. 
and it just ripped my heart out of my chest and stomped it on the ground. Kids, well, yeah. This whole time I'm like, oh man, maybe there's some type of connection. Maybe he's like my half brother, and I didn't even know about it. No, it's not the case. No, he's yeah, Matt. Yeah, it's Matt McPherson, and then McPherson Guitars is the other thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the stuff that I found out in that one trip to the archery shop just devastated me. Um, but I love shooting it. I I do want to look at. You know, like I mentioned earlier, a new site. Mm-hmm. And then also like that quick detach system that you were talking about, being able to take it off, um, stow it away, put it back on with the confidence that it's going to be. Yeah. That it's still going to be We accurate. didn't touch on bow quivers. Oh, yeah. Um, so find something that holds at least five, six arrows. Cause like I said, you might break one in an incident or you might run out of arrows while you're you're back there. Uh, just keep something that everything's tied to the bow. I run a tight spot. Um, Matthews, like their line is amazing. Like their products, amazing, and Hoyts are just as good, and they're all designed for the the, the specific bows. So yeah, yeah, get bow quiver. Practice with the bow quiver. That's a actually that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest notes I should mention is tree stand. Honey, you can hang it up. No, out west you gotta you gotta yeah, it's you gotta on your bow it. all the time. Yeah, so get get comfortable shooting with it on there. Sometimes my bow shoots better with it on than it does without so yeah and again i have no experience actually hunting with my bow out west but from all the videos i've seen everybody should be practicing from a bunch of different positions like you're not just going to have a wide open stand-up shot on an elk every time like practice shooting from one knee from two knees like with your back against a tree like practice a bunch of different ways that might simulate a real world scenario. Sub and ask, you know, sub, sub 20 yards, be prepared. You know, the cool thing about bow hunting elk is your effective range can be cut by the animal itself because hormones are in play and they are, they will come in so fast and you have no time to a dial your sight. And if that's what you're playing with and you got to be prepared to shoot five yards it's guess what a five yard pin is for me. It's like my 70 or 80 yard pin, you know? Dang. So like be prepared to send it and no, and no. So it sounds silly to walk up 10 feet away from a, a target, but like <laughs> make but sure you're around a bunch of really well, like really good hunters and archers. When you do that, like yeah. just walk right up point blank to the target and send one into it. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll be surprised. You'll be like six inches high or low. And you're like, It'll be high. Yeah. It's like, what, what was that? I'm like, yeah. Arch archery. Yeah. It's, it's this, it's the back half of the arch. Yeah. It's not called yeah. straightery. Yeah. It's not called linery. It's yeah. archery. It's not a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> Bullets go flat, right? Yeah. <laughs> Completely. Yeah. Gravity has no effect on bullets. Yes. Um, no, that is, that is all really good information. Uh, one last thing before we hop off. What, what other gear would you recommend? I mean, like, is there something Coming from out west or out east, I'd never really put a ton of thought into footwear. And I had a couple of buddies like, dude, get <laughs> good footwear and break it in. Are there any tips like that or or pieces of gear that you would highly recommend that you've been using? Um boot boots is the, always the the rule of the land. Um it's always around the feet. But here, so Boot boots is important, so I, I run really stiff mountaineering boots. You you want flexible boots that feel comfortable. Flexible means wear, wear means damage, damage means waterproof boots are not waterproof anymore. Yeah. Um 
that didn't, you know, that didn't come out as nice. No, it, it totally makes sense. But my dad does that. He just like knows every year he's just going to buy a new pair of boots and he just knows that they're going to be trash at the end. I run these mountaineering boots and I've had them for four years and I've probably put four or 500 miles on them. They're fine. They hold up. Yeah. Um, sock liners. Okay. So the nylon, uh, you know, the army used to do it where you put uh, women's like nylon or tights on. Dude, I just feet. talked about this with somebody the other day. They had no idea what I was talking about. Game cha- sock liner or boot liners game changer. Like that actually makes Moreno wool socks actually do what they're, what they're supposed to. Nice. Big deal. I always carry like three, three total one on my feet, two in the truck or two in the uh, pack. Um, just so that I can hit, hit it fresh, dry. And then, um, gators on the bottom when you're ru- walking through because out east you're running waiter or uh muck boots or something like that yeah. and you're you're tr- not walking through the mountains in muck boots i'm telling you that right no, now. no and yeah don't yeah get that get that idea out of your head right away so gators is a good compromise or a bridge or something familiar because a it tightens everything up on the bottom of your boot pants i mean i've walked through streams with my gators and the water didn't go up into the boot because the the gators were up to my knee. So nice gators, game changer, mountain goat hunting. We were on shale and stuff. Like I brand new pair going up at the end of it. They were destroyed. Um, they're my backup pair now. But yeah, so protect your ankles, uh, minimize snagging while you're doing your final approach. Just these are removing variables. Um, those are those are my big those are my big ones sock liners boots and gaiters it's all around your feet nice um, and then always a, a good rain a raincoat yeah gaiters to your knees knees to your your waist that neutral area if you want to bring rain pants that's up to you uh, it's just extra weight um, but good a good rain top can be your act as your coat as your regular day to day coat as well yeah um, depending on the brand but. So th- those are my big three. You want to stay dry. And you want to. You want to keep keep your feet moving. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I just bought gators. I've never run them before. Um, I had like, like when I rabbit hunt, mm-hmm. I'm getting into some pretty gnarly like thorns and thickets. Oh yeah. And so like I have a pair of Filson chaps yep. that I wear. Um, but I I've been watching more and more stuff where people have gators on, and I'm like, dude, every year just when I'm turkey hunting. The dew on the grass in early spring, like it will zap the warmth out of your body if you get your feet cold right away in the morning. And so I was like, man, I'm just going to finally buy some gaiters for that. Well, I actually brought them out because the reason I'm out here in Colorado is I'm about to go on a mountain lion hunt. Oh, it is. Well, (laughs) those I'm like, dude, I'm about to chase after nature's like one of nature's most athletic animals. And I'm going to be in some gnarly stuff, probably some steep cliffs, lots of loose rock, who knows what else. And so I was like, man, they still have the tag on them right now. I got them just after Christmas, but I haven't used them until now, but I'm super pumped to put them on and see, see the difference, I guess. Yeah. It's a big, I mean, I'll go shoot league. I'll, those are going on no matter what boots I'm wearing. So it's, it sounds, it does, it sounds silly, but if you wear them for a year and they're like destroyed, you're like, okay, that would have been my pet. Pants, you know, you can spend $400 on a pair of pants, Yeah, hunting pants. Um, this will protect them. So that's another factor. It helps keeps your investment on your, your, your base layers too. Nice. Um, what, what are your plans for this year? 
you have any big big hunts planned? Are you are you doing any like out of state set out of state hunts? Probably not. Um, start a new job beginning of the year, so I'm trying to trying to rack in some credits, try to get that vacation time racked up for September. See, um, you just have to add that in the ne- negotiations when you start a new job. Like, hey, is there anything that you need if you're going to come and work for us? All of hunting season off. Uh, that's number one. <laughs> <laughs> Tried that, didn't work. Oh, uh, um, but um, no, the yeah, they they understand it. I mean, the guy sharing office with is a huge elk hunter. Oh, sweet. My my boss, I met at the shop. Like, oh, cool. <laughs> there you go. I shoot archery with his son. Uh, so like, they'll they'll get it, and I can work remotely if I have to because. Um, my family's got a, a ranch down south um, that I can shoot up there, hit the trails, and go up. And um, yeah, so I'll probably do I'll do over the counter elk, just like the rest of you will. Um, and then yeah, I'll probably hunt down south this summer. I'd like to I'm gonna I'm gonna scout a lot more. So um, yeah, I'm just I'm just I'm chomping at the bit. I think the I think the DOW book for Colorado just came out. Yep. Um, I think they put a bunch of units on draw only and away from over the counter. So things are getting tighter and tighter. Mm-hmm. Um, but check it, take a look, take at the, for Colorado specifically, take a look at the stats. If he says zero points to draw and you got an 80% chance and it's an area you've been hunting your whole, your last five years, then go for it. You know? Yeah. Um, if that's where your buddy goes and that you're, you're just getting into a hunt out here, then hit it up, but check out the stats. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like to get, I'd like to go, go up to Wyoming at some point. Apparently that's the, that's the next, <laughs> holy, was it the Holy land or whatever? Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's like, it's like the best kept secret. Well, yeah. They, people have been talking about it enough that now it's like, man, it's <laughs> that's the problem try. with idiots on podcasts, <laughs> giving away everyone's secrets. <laughs> that's all I hear. So yeah, but, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. no, I heard it's actually terrible. Nobody yeah. should go there. Um, yeah. Hey, do you have a bunch of points saved up? Are you gonna try to cash in, or have you cashed in? Uh yeah, I've got like six or seven mule deer, two or three pronghorn, and like eight for all my other stuff. So unless I draw a moose tag, which won't happen until I'm like fifty. No way, dude. This is the year, man. That'd be crazy. I'm drawing this year. I'm I'm just telling you right now, you heard it here first. (laughs) I am drawing a Colorado moose tag. My wife is going to kill me because of how much a non-resident moose tag costs, but I only have five points Yeah, (laughs) and I doubt it's going to happen, but fingers crossed every year. Like I don't get excited, like unrealistically excited about stuff. I'm very realistic about my sports teams. Like, dude, they're probably not going to win the Super Bowl. I'm Mm -hmm. just going to say that, which they obviously are not this year, but, um, (laughs) When it comes to like tags and drawing certain tags, well, yeah. I am stupidly optimistic. I every year I'm like, this is it, dude. I'm gonna get that notification. Like they just pulled twenty four hundred dollars out of my bank account. <laughs> um, anyways, I doubt it'll happen though. No, I, unless I get a, unless I get some kind of inclination, I'll I'll probably just do over the counter um, elk and maybe over the counter antelope. Um, some of our we have some prairie land that has some big bucks on there. I'm the only one I'm allowed to hunt in yeah. September. So do, I might sneak down there. Do you even try to draw or do you always just go like preference points? Do you actually like put in and try to draw your moose tag each year? Yeah. 
Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. I've heard people that are like, dude, I'm not even going to try. There's no point. Like, I'm just going to wait till I have 16 points. And I'm like, but there's still a chance. Well, it's like 0.005% chance, but 0.05 over 10 years. Yeah. That's, it becomes Yeah, something. or you have 0% chance between yeah. now and 10 years from now. If you look at the stat, I mean, if you look at the 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 excel sheet the, the girl that puts it together like you can look and be like sometimes the guy with three preference or three weighted points and three base points i forget I'm, the number yeah. major escapes me but there's a guys that do it with you know seven eight you know my dad got his mountain gut with seven uh jeez you know like he probably got a lot of hate for that. <laughs> I'm like, people hate the guy who gets lucky because they all wish they were him. Yeah, and it and it, but he also found specific, a specific rifle season, a specific unit that was somewhat under. Like we nerded out on figuring out where he wanted to go. Yeah. Um. So I mean, we went, yeah, middle of October, I'm out going hunt with a bow during rifle season. It's a good times. So. Yeah, perfect. But you have to. No, I don't want to say that. But yeah, you don't. You may. I don't. We didn't wear orange, but I don't think you need to wear orange for for mountain goat if you were using a bow or something. So, yeah. um, I don't know. That was so long ago, but it was a good time. Um, but yeah, I'll probably just stick to love the counter stuff this year. Um, maybe I might. I might put in for a, a mule deer tag down on the ranch. There's some big deer on that on that property, dude. I found <laughs> the mule deer mecca this year. And I will, just because I like you, <laughs> tweet the deeds. I'm not but, talking yeah. about it on air. <laughs> that is for sure. But we'll have to have a conversation after this because we saw some huge mule deer. In fact, my buddy, my buddy Tony, spotted one that was pushing 200 inches multiple days in a row, and it just couldn't care less that we were there. That's that's awesome. So we'll we'll chat about that. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of uh, there's a lot of units and pronghorns are good. Uh, go back to that real quick is there's a lot of units that are like ten year ten point units for rifle and over the counter for archery. You know, like yeah. if you're dumb enough to try to shoot an antelope in this unit, well, we will gladly take your money. <laughs> Here you go. So it's not always it's not always elk hunt, but it is is a big deal. It is a big driver for why people come out to Colorado. Yeah. Um, you. Yeah, it's a it's a big factor. That's awesome. Um, well, before we hop off, why don't you share with people where they can find you, where they can follow along, as well as the archery shop, where people can get information about that or come check out what you guys offer. Yep. So um, I'm on Instagram as uh, King Derek, um, and then the shop is Rocky Mountain Archery. Uh, there's a I think Mountain is MTN, um, and uh, we take pictures of cool builds of the bows uh we try to keep up on there um but yeah it's that's that's only on instagram as well but yeah hit us up we'll, we try to answer as many questions as we can try to get people lined out um we ship stuff all over the united states all over the world i mean we've got customers in finland that we send stuff out to so that's cool yeah we we try to take care of all these people so yeah it's always fun Sweet, man. Well, I appreciate you hopping on. This was a good chat, and hopefully the listeners got a lot of good information to prepare for their first archery western hunt. Yep, start now. Start preparing <laughs> now. That's It doesn't matter if you're 10 years away. Start now. You start now. Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Thanks, man. Yep, thanks, man. 
And that is going to wrap it up for this episode of The Western Rookie. I hope you guys enjoyed that one and took a lot away from it. I'm hoping to put a lot of this information, the tips and the tricks and the gear recommendations into practice this fall when I head out west for my first ever Western archery big game hunt. Now, I've got to fill you in on something. I'm in Utah right now. I just got done recording this episode with Derek, but... I'm looking forward to an amazing week of chasing after mountain lions with hounds with my good buddy Dustin Clark, and I've been out already and have some really cool stories to share. So be ready for that episode to come out, because if you're looking at getting out and predator hunting out here, there's a lot of things that I am learning, a lot of questions I'm asking, and a lot of things that I was not prepared for. So that episode's soon to come, but until next time, please get out there and chase after a new adventure.